and welcome to Pyres and Twirling Unwired, a daily discussion about business, technology, and current events around the world. Featuring Tim Pyres, a career software, privacy, and mobile communication pro, and Ben Sperling, a leading professional in digital health and healthcare technology. This program is casual and non-rehearsed, and may feature occasional guests or recorded interviews. Let's join Jim and Ben now. Hello and welcome to Unwired, episode 16 for Monday, April 6th, 2020. You've entered day 26 of the lockdown. I'm Jim Pyers from FEMA Region 9, the hidden jewel compound in Escondido. Hello, Ben. Hello, Jim. This is Ben Sperling coming in live from Point Loma, California. Welcome, Ben. Today we've got an exciting show. We have three amazing guests that we're going to interview. Um, I I would vote this is our best show yet. Um, I don't know what you think, but um, we we just finished the interview with Dean Weber, Dr. Gerard Blake, M.D., and Rear Admiral Mark Heinrich, um, who are who make up the Quantum AI team. Uh, and full disclosure, I am part of that team, and uh, we've developed a product that we're going to be talking about today in respect to COVID-19. Um, we've got a couple of um, items for the show that we want to get finished. Um, ben brought a, a couple of very interesting uh, clips and uh, a hero hero of the day. So. Let's start. No, hold on. But before, yeah. you, before you get started, I want to let you know that, uh, in full disclosure, I am not part of that team and that I try not to throw any softball questions. <laughs> no, you did a great job. That was a fun show. I, I mean, I love shows where I'm learning and I'm listening to these, these just amazing guests uh, share insights. You know, having Dr. Blake talk about he, he's an urgent care physician, you know, in the San Diego area working on COVID-19 every day. I mean, it's amazing to hear someone like that share what's happening on the ground, you know, in, you know, and what he's got to deal with every single day. And it's also a little heartening because, um, yeah, it's, it's hard and it's, um, serious work, but they're not overwhelmed and they're, you know, it's not Armageddon. Uh, and, and that's, it's also good to hear, um, the doctor talk about things in just a very uh, rational tone. We don't get this tone, I think, on, you know, the mainstream media. So it's just very, I think you're going to find his, his insights and his experience both valuable and also heartening in what they're doing and how they're succeeding. Well, what I, what I liked about the show that uh, folks are about to hear, the interview, is it was from the front lines of, of a provider, some, a doctor who's going through it, right? Yep. You, it, from a technology provider that is trying to create something to help the public and respond to this in a meaningful way, an easy way, right? And then hearing kind of uh, the Admiral's view in regards to how this applies to, you know, working with the government and how you know, what the optimism is about leveraging new technologies and solutions. So I think, in, you know, wrapping the whole show up, it was it, very fascinating and eager for the feedback from our listeners. Agreed. 
So let's get to the A block. Clip of the day from Ben. Ben, take it away. This is the A block clip of the day for me, which is Bill Withers, um, who recently passed away, um, who wrote the song Lean On Me, which I think is apropos for this time uh, that we're going through right now, which we're kind of all leaning on each other to help for emotional support, sometimes physical support and delivering groceries, et cetera. Um, I think it's, I think Bill said it best. Hit it, Bill. All right, as I pl play the clip, you know, he, I remember Bill growing up and hopefully if I keep talking over the clip, we're, we won't get a takedown notice. But this is just a little bit of, I'm gonna play less than 30 seconds. I think that's the rule. And we are using it for journalistic. Uh, so just five seconds to go. I think well, that's well, we, we are honoring him. Yes, in Bill's honor. Thanks, Bill. All right, and the second thing we're gonna do today is we're gonna, Ben's choice was so good, I just, uh, I, I didn't wanna compete with it. So hero of the day, Ben, what so, you got? So I can't believe I default to one on this. This is fantastic. <laughs> You're 2-0 um, oh today, man. I'm 2-0, 2-0. <laughs> oh, oh. uh, since we started this, this segment, but um, you know, I thought about, you know, we've talked about doctors and the first responders as, as, as heroes, and they are. Um, one of the ones I was thinking about was data scientists. I'm hearing, you know, new data from the government all the time and the people behind the scenes that are tracking this and making sense of this, super, super interesting work and, and important. But my hero of the day goes out to the army of folks, volunteers that are at home with their sewing machines, making masks, out of scrap fabric they have or waiting in line at Joann's and Michael's to get fabric in long lines to get fabric to make masks for the everyday restaurant worker who's delivering food to their friends that may work at Costco or grocery store or for any other volunteer that it, or other person has to be out in public because they're a critical job and they don't have a proper mask. I want to say thank you to all those folks that are, are donating both their time and effort in making those masks for them. Well, Ben, um, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, there better be a story, but that's a great one. This is your second. You're you're really kicking my butt on this. So this this second great hero of the day, 100% agree. Uh, every, everyone who's pulling together and trying to do things to help is, uh, is on my good list. So great one, Ben. Um, now let's, before, uh, just to tee things up, um, will this interview that's going to come up here in the next <clears throat> 30 seconds, it's going to be, um, the quantum team, Dean Weber, Rear Admiral Mark Heinrich, Dr. Gerald, uh, Gerard, Jerry Blake. MD from uh, Sharp Ree Steely. So uh, please, everyone, kick back, listen, um, be informed, and uh, enjoy. I'd like to thank our producer of the show uh, for his generous donation, Ed Siemens. Shout out to Ed uh, for contributing to our show. All right, Ed. Uh, thank you, Ed. 
And uh, for those of you who would like to be a name producer in the show, you're welcome to click on over to wiredsworld.net and click on the donation and help sponsor the show. Yes, thank you everyone for your support. Ed, really appreciate it. Our, you're, you're the largest donor to date, so amazing. And uh, Ed, Ed and I go way back as a great friend in the morning to you, Ed, and look forward to, uh, to catching up with you. All right, thanks, everybody. Enjoy the show. Uh, the first is Dean Weber. He's the founder of Quantum. Uh, Dean is the godfather of conversational voice AI and is the CEO of Quantum. We also have Dr. Gerard Jerry Blake, MD, Sharp Reese Steely, urgent care physician. He's a co-founder of Quantum, and uh, Jerry's basically the, uh, the brains and the experience behind uh, everything that we do clinically within Quantum. And he's a board advisor and, and CMO. And then also we have a special guest, Rear Admiral Mark Heinrich. Um, Mark had obviously leadership role in the United States Navy, and he's held private sector leadership roles and consulting roles um, as an executive at Microsoft. Um, uh, Mark's role, he's a board advisor. So I'm gonna let uh, each one of these gentlemen introduce themselves for a little bit, and then we'll jump into the uh, questioning. Go ahead, Dean. All right, well, thanks, Gene, and thanks, Ben. Uh, yeah. Great to be on the show and uh, and be on Unwired here. So uh, as Jim said, I'm Dean Weber, founder of Quantum AI. And you know my background is um, years of experience, about 30 years of experience computer science, about 20, year, 20 years experience in artificial intelligence, personal assistant type technology. And uh, kind of the thing that I did in the past and what, what is part of Quantum now is launched uh, one of the industry's first personal assistants back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and sold patents over to Apple for technology used in Surrey, and have been uh, building upon that um, expertise and skills and, you know, building a great team, which, uh, you know, we have here today. So, you know, really, really happy to be um, on the show today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dean. Uh, Jerry, you're up next. Thank you, Jim. Um, again, uh, I, I think I owe you for that amazing introduction. Um, yeah, I'm a urgent care physician here in uh, Chula Vista, California. I'm the director of the urgent care, um, Sharpie Steely Urgent Care in Chula Vista. And right now we are frontline, front and center uh, of this COVID uh, pandemic. Um, we've set up... Um, outdoor respiratory tents at all of our urgent cares right now. Um, so we're seeing everyone uh, outside in our outdoor uh, respiratory tents. And we do that because the air circulates much better outdoors, 10 times better. And also the UV light uh, kills viruses. So much safer to see folks outdoors rather than uh, indoors. Um, so I'm very, very excited about uh, public access screening service um, that we've rolled out and we're providing, uh, that is really going to assist, uh, frontline physicians like myself <clears throat> and patients. And also it's going to assist, uh, assist our local leaders, state leaders and government leaders with helping to track COVID and, uh, come up with the hotspots, 
uh, where, where COVID is. Um, and I'm very excited about quantum uh, AI joining uh, yourself, uh, Dean, uh, Roy Bell, and, uh, and also Admiral Mark Heimrich helping us out as well. Thanks so much for having me this evening. Thanks, Jerry. Mark, please jump in. Hey, Jim and Ben, thanks for uh, asking me to join you for what it looks like is great podcast. And I'm excited to hear episode 16 when you're all said and done. But now I got to go back and listen to episodes one through 15. So I think I'll have my work cut out for me this week. Um, I've, I've had a chance to join with uh, this great group of uh, patriots and all Americans because of my experience in the Navy and also my experience in the private sector. Uh, grew up in La Jolla and spent 35 years in the Navy, finished as chief of supply, and then had uh, uh, several jobs in the private sector, leading an aerospace parts company, leading Microsoft supply chain, and now leading a small company called Oakleaf. And I've had a chance to get to know Dean, Jim, Jerry, and uh, the rest of the folks who are involved in this tremendous effort. And, and I'm here to help and to do what I can. My contribution is lots of government contacts and a lot of understanding of how to, how to introduce a product and make it sticky. So I'm excited to help. Well, we're honored to have, um, and I'm humbled to have such uh, amazing guests. Um, ben, um, and, and full disclosure, I am part of this team. So I'm Jim Pyers. I am uh, one of the co-founders along with, with this team you just heard. And um, Dean in, invited me <clears throat> into the group uh, probably uh, almost a year ago We was our first meeting. Mm -hmm. but, we, but we got going and um, we've been working together now on this program. And, and it was referenced PASS, which is we're going to talk about that more on the on the uh, in the later in the podcast, um, we're going to talk a little bit about what the underpinnings are. But I think um, one of the first things I'd like to do is is get Jerry's take on um, what are what are some of the key areas where um, where outside help could be interesting, and you know what are the challenges that he has day to day. Jerry's on is in the front lines, as he mentioned, and he's working with, with, with patients who, who, who need this kind of urgent care and, and fighting this COVID-19 virus. So, so Jerry, maybe give us a, a, you know, a little view into your day, what's happening out there, what, what do you see, and what kind of things um, do you need to, to help you get your job done? Well, the, the first thing we all have recognized as physicians is we don't have the ability to test everyone we want to test. Um, there's a lack of, of test kits. Um, the other difficulty is that uh, tests take quite a long time to come back. Um, you know, from the time you test a patient, it may be as many as four to seven days to get the information back, whether they're uh, positive or negative. Um, that's a frustration for us. Um, but 
without testing, um, we're having to go by our, our clinical skills. Um, and we're learning a lot about COVID every day. And, and what we're learning about is the symptomatology of COVID um, that 88% of patients will present with fever. Um, a large majority of patients will present with dry cough. A large majority of patients will present with extreme fatigue and body aches. A large majority of patients will uh, present with loss of taste and loss of smell. So you can really make the diagnosis by the clinical presentation of the patient. And sometimes that clinical presentation may be as good or better than the test. The tests that we have um, can pick up uh, about 70% of the patients who actually have the disease, meaning that 30% of the patients will get a negative test, but they actually have the disease, meaning the false negative rate to the test uh, the common COVID test out there is 30%. So unfortunately, the test is not very accurate. Um, and that's where our application comes in because we're able to identify patients who very, very likely have COVID by their presentation, their symptomatology, their vital signs, their temperature, so you can actually do a very good job in identifying patients uh, that have the disease without testing. And, and we've had to do that because the testing's uh, not available. Now, now another thing that's so often Jerry, frustrating the, to the, patients um, is that when they try to call their doctor um, because of the, the fear with this virus and fear with this illness, you know, you have multiple, multiple patients trying to contact their physician at the same time, and this is leading to long wait times on the phone, and, and that's a frustration to patients. So um, the pass application um, does away with that long, long wait, and patients can get information right away um, and often find out if their symptomatology does represent COVID. So that's, that's a relief uh, to patients, being able to get that information right away without a long, long wait um, to talk to a nurse or a doctor. Now, now what's my day typically like? Um, we're working, believe it or not, outside um, in, in the elements, it could be rainy. The, the sun could be extremely bright. Uh, we're working in tents outside, as I said, because that's the best place to take care of patients because, uh, the UV light tends to kill the virus. The air outside circulates much better than the, the air inside. Um, so, so believe it or not, we're seeing patients outside in tents because that's much safer for the patients and much safer for the staff um, and the doctors. We're lucky we're in San um, Diego for that, right? Yeah, thank goodness we're in San Diego and we're not in, you know, Minneapolis or northern Wisconsin. Um, but today, you know, I had to deal with rain part of the day. 
and then the sun was really bright and I had a hard time looking at my computer screen as I was uh, charting on, on the EMR. Um, but um, fortunately, you know, most patients that are, that I'm seeing um, have mild illness and that's what we're finding about 80% of patients with COVID have mild illness, 20% have more severe illness. So fortunately I can give patients reassurance that um, you, you know, you may very well have COVID. I'm going to test you for it. Um, but I can give them reassurance that right now you're doing fine. Your O2 sats are great. Your lungs are clear. Your chest x-ray is normal. Go home, isolate yourself, quarantine yourself. Um, you know, give yourself some time to rest and get better. Stay away from the rest of the family. And Fortunately, most patients do do very well with this illness, but I always give them the caution, you know, if you're getting worse and and, and when folks get into trouble, they get into trouble, it, it's usually respiratory wise. So I say if you're developing shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, chest pain, by all means, got to get back in to see us right away. And if it's really acute, life threatening, of course, you know, call 911, get into the emergency room as, as quick as you can. Um, I'm, I'm seeing about, you know, probably about two patients per hour. So right right now in San Diego, uh, in my urgent care, it's not overwhelming. I, I can take care of the volume um, and take care of the patients. Um, and uh, the good news is we have um, Sharp Reese Steely and Sharp Healthcare. I've got the proper PPE for myself and my staff, so I'm able to keep myself safe, uh, the staff safe, and the patients safe. Well, we um, saw your outfit today. It was it was quite yeah. an outfit. Maybe you can describe it for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Well, I'll wear I'll wear a um, a surgical mask. Um, a, a plastic or a facial shield. I'll wear a hairnet because the virus can get into the net. Um, and then I'll wear a gown to protect myself. Um, and usually over top of the gown, I'll, I'll wear on top of the gown, usually, um, you know, an x-ray, an x-ray cover or an x-ray gown on, on top of my gown. So um, I can use the gown longer. I don't have to keep on replacing it just to um, preserve PPE. Um, what I'll usually do is I'll change to an N95 mask if I'm going to do a procedure that may cause uh, aerosolized particles to get expressed towards me. Um, if I'm just examining the patient, they're not coughing on me, I'll just use the regular surgical mask because uh, we're really trying to preserve the N95 mask uh, as much as we can. We're actually able to um, re-sterilize the N95 mask. So at the end of the day, we put it in a plastic bag and it goes over to Sharp Coronado Hospital and they're actually then re-sterilizing the N95 mask so we can use them again. Oh, that's fantastic. So, Jerry, I got a question in regards to, you're seeing two patients a day right now, which is... Oh, two per hour. Two, two per, per sorry, per, my, my apology, two per hour. Um, how many of those do you believe are, you know, kind of triaging themselves before they get to the emergency room, like go to Dr. Google or, you, you know, use, a, you know, online version to, to help them decide whether they should go see you? 
it, it's a combination. They, they may, um, probably about 25% of them are using telehealth where they're contacting their primary care physician and um, having a conversation with their primary care physician um, who will then give them a recommendation uh, whether to stay at home um, or whether to come in and get seen or get tested. Um, of course, those patients have, those, those are patients, you know, they're living um, in a city like San Diego that has uh, real good access to health care. Um, they have access to modern medical groups like Sharpree Steely and Scripps and Kaiser uh, that have telehealth. Um, so they can get a hold of their primary care physician. But, um, you know, folks in rural areas don't have that same advantage that folks in San Diego have. Um, <clears throat> but you're right, probably a majority of them are, are seeking online services. Um, and patients often tell me, you know, I, I did go to Google and I plugged in my symptoms and then they come in really frightened, you know. Oh, Google told me I might be having a heart attack. Yeah. I told them I have chest pain with my heart. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah. They often get really strange advice on Google, where they come and say, "Oh, Google told me I'm having a pulmonary embolism because I'm short of breath and I'm having chest pain." Right, and I have to Google what that is because they don't know what that is really. So. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I mean, so you've got some percentage of. Of, of the population that comes in to see you that are kind of doing kind of an initial search which versus I'm just feeling terrible. I'm going to go into the ER or the, or the urgent clinic, which is good, which kind of lends to, you know, what quantum has developed is a way to get, give people better access and at a larger scale. Um, so Dean, if you could tell us a little bit about, um, about quantum's past and, why it's really relevant in such a time of crisis like now. Okay, Ben, yeah, um, absolutely. Well, so PASS um, stands for Public Access Screening Service, right? And, you know, it was literally probably three weeks ago that Jim uh, reached out to me and said, you know, hey, Dean, you know, we've been developing, you know, since Quantum started in the, in the summer, a, uh, a personal assistant for doctors that could listen to the uh, exam and take notes automatically. So can't we take the same concept and technology, the AI technology, and apply it to um, diagnosing COVID symptoms? Um, so, um, you know, after some initial reluctance on my side, like, boy, Jim, that's gonna be a big effort, right? Um, remember that, Jim? Yeah. I was, yeah. And then the very next day I emailed you, I said, Jim, I'm gonna, we're gonna do it. We are going to do it, right? Um, so, um, so we started building this PASS system and what we did was we decided that, um, to be able to make it, you know, accessible at a, at a national level or, or a state level, or even a regional level, you have to do it through a phone based system because not everybody has a smartphone or is comfortable. Seniors might not be comfortable using a, a smartphone or installing, you know, apps and setting up accounts and things like that, but everybody has a telephone. And in times of crisis, whether it's a national disaster, which we're you know having now as a crisis, um, or you know um, any time that people need to be able to reach um, some kind of service, they have a phone. So what we decided to do was create this public access service. 
It's a toll-free, it's a free service that people can call. And what it does, as uh, Dr. Jerry was saying, was that it, it takes you through a series of questions. And it's uh, very similar to what a physician would ask. Like, you know, have you had shortness of breath? Have you had a cough or a fever? If so, how long? How would you rate your fever? So very similar questions. Um, and then what it does um, is it comes up with a risk analysis. Um, and it looks at, you know, the, the, the patterns of what you've been talking about. And then it says, you know, you really should seek medical um, uh, help and you should probably get a test or you have very low risk and just follow the CDC guidelines for, you know, cleanliness and distancing and things like that. That's one side of the coin um, from the patient um, side, the caller side, providing access. The other side to the government, and we've had discussions with the CDC and members of Congress as well, is the, uh, the amount of data that a system like this can immediately um, provide to these government agencies to quickly identify hotspots and outbreak regions. Say like, you know, callers are calling from La Jolla and they're, they're talking about uh, symptoms that are very similar to COVID, right? Now the, uh, the government agencies can say, okay, well, we need to direct medical supplies and personnel to that area and deploy it there because we're seeing this outbreak. And this all can happen in real time um, you know, on a national scale. So, t so Dean, uh, before we jump into the data piece, which I think is extremely important, I've got lots of questions there, but sure. so this is what people are used to. I mean, you, you call in some ways, you call a telephone number and you to make a reservation for a flight or a hotel or whatever, and it's using some sort of conversational AI or natural natural language processing to identify what you're saying. Um, right. But one of the things I found in, in, in being in the, in the healthcare space for a while is that, you know, medical is very challenging. There's so many sound-alike, look-alikes words, um, and the let's just call it the dictionary of of vocabulary that can be used is so broad. How does how does your system able to take that and make it useful? Well, so we, um, you know, over the over the last year, we've really worked hard on training our, our, our natural language understanding engine and speech technology to look at the, um, you know, words like, okay, so the system's going to say, you know, tell me your symptoms, right? It's kind of an open-ended question. Tell me your symptoms, but it kind of directs you. Do you have a cough or a fever? So they might say, yeah, I've got a runny nose. I've got a headache. I've got, um, you know, a shortness of breath, right? So it's looking at these things. So it, it, it has a, it has a, you know, a context of understanding from the medical perspective of what those symptoms might be. And then it also has a, a dictionary of all the different types of medications. And of course, speech recognition can get things wrong and it will get things wrong, but there are also sound alikes too. So there's, there, there's the probability of certain things. So, but when you sit, when it asks you, are you taking any medication for your fever and shortness of breath? You know, you could say, yeah, I'm taking Tylenol, uh, Robitussin, Zycam. And it actually is hitting at a very high level of accuracy because it's been trained on these um, on these uh, phrases and words for you know for quite some time. And so maybe, it's looking it's looking maybe, for those. And Dean, maybe explain you know how Jerry helped us with the templates. So the the system has mm -hmm. smart templates that are used you know in the doctor patient relationship. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. So, you know, when we started the, the company, um, you know, working with, working closely with Jerry on how do doctors take medical notes? And, uh, you know, maybe the, um, the exam is, uh, you know, you have a sore throat, right? So physicians typically might have a sore throat template that they follow. You know, this is the kind of standard things that I ask when I know that it's a sore, sore throat. And, uh, and in the system, the AI and the natural language understanding and uh, context is looking for these things based on what it understands the dialogue is or the context is. So that's that's really a lot of how the system is built and trained. Um, and then through machine learning, then we we feed that back into the system to you know to relearn and to understand and get better over time. So it's um, you know truly is a learning type of a machine. Very interesting. Thank you. So. Uh, uh, Rear Admiral uh, Mark, I have a question in regards to the data. So you built this engine that's um, going to, you know, pull in a, a, a boatload of data from the population that has public access to this. And now it's going to be pushed to a cloud of some sort. And like uh, Dean was mentioning, it sounds like, you know, providing access to the CDC for hotspots. How, how are you guys... Um, Constructing constructing the data and so that it could be mined by by the CDC. <laughs> what a great question! Thanks. Yeah, the, the you know the uh, the the value proposition is as you collect data, you're going to gather you're going to gather literally petabytes of it. But but to the general influenza or communicable disease person or somebody even who's dealing with a pandemic. You know, the data is not going to look like anything until it can be displayed and distilled and data scientists can take it and manipulate it to, to give the to basically get data to release its messages. And that's the real value of ops research and data scientists. And some of the best in the world are in the government. And we have access to some of the best in the world here at uh, companies like Microsoft who are anxious to help or Oracle or many others. But. But the value proposition is when we take all this data and put it together, different people need different different representations. Somebody who's looking at the state of California is going to have a different need than somebody who's looking at data that's coming from the nation or maybe from the southeast United States. And if we're not uh, if we're not able to do it, it just won't. All this hard work that we're doing to build systems that will gather information won't release the information and make it legible. You, you hear uh, these regular press briefings that we're seeing, whether it's the state of New York or the White House or the California uh, leadership. You know, this is like a statistician Super Bowl. It's really amazing to see these folks pouring over information, trying to guess when peaks are going to come, trying to guess whether we're, our behaviors are having value. I think that's the real message here is that if we take this data and, and we are able to put it in the right format, which means that it's data that can be uh, nurtured and evaluated and then displayed, we're going to be successful. So I'm excited about it because we know some great data scientists. So it sounds fantastic. Data, data analysis um, is fascinating. My question would be is how do you keep data from getting biased? Right. Um, so, and I, and I think I kind of go with that for just data and then that kind of AI. So Dean, I'm coming, coming to you for the next question, which is, 
So how do you keep bias from being introduced into this? Because sometimes we see what we want to see with, with data. And so how do we create a lens that is pure? <laughs> wow, isn't that a great question? You know, my friend Dan Levinton wrote a book about data and and it was it the, the premise of the book is that is that anybody can tell make data tell the story that they want it to tell. I think the value proposition is that people have to go in with an unbiased view, not not uh, a view of of making the data tell the message they want. As long as they're willing to do that, they're going to get they're going to get an answer. Um, but but it takes more than one view. That's uh, that's that's kind of the asymmetric nature of analysis is getting sometimes different teams to look at it. But uh, I'd refer you to Dan Levinson's fabulous book about how data can be manipulated. Oh, fantastic! Thank you. Yeah, hey, no, ben, I, I think it's Ben. Didn't yeah. Mark didn't Mark Twain say there's uh, there's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics and data models. I think so, something along those <laughs> yeah. lines. Well, well, I mean, I think it's it's kind yeah. of interesting because I mean, I asked that question somewhat tongue in cheek because you know, in this use case that we're talking about in healthcare, I don't think people are intentionally trying to bias their data. Okay, unless you know, possibly it's a drug study and there's a there's a financial motive to it, right? And I'm not saying that happens every day, but you know, I'm sure it's happened, but. I think, you know, from this perspective, I, you know, I think that the motives are, are altruistic. I think what you guys are doing in with quantum is giving the people a mass, the, the mass is the ability to quickly be triaged and provide data, massive amount of data to the government to see, you know, hotspots. And it's kind of interesting because not only as I think about the data that it would possibly come in from, from your application, I think about the severity. So you can see not only is there a hotspot, but I mean, are we having, you know, a hypersensitive or, 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 you know, critical amount of people that are need to be escalated. So more resources need to be thrown at that city or state uh, faster, not just because there's more people, but the severity or the acuteness of it. Right. And, you know, with the data too, Ben, you can pinpoint like, Okay, we're seeing more um, symptoms from, you know, 57-year-old males um, than we are, you know, with a female population or a younger male population. So you can, you know, use that data to pinpoint things. It was interesting because the CDC brought up a really good point um, when they asked us that, um, you know, they saw tremendous value in what we're doing. Um, and they're looking at, well, how could they integrate this kind of data with other data sources that they have too, because there won't be just one solution, right? So, you know, looking at, you know, double counting and making sure that the data is as clean as possible. So we're not looking at, um, you know, that there's a double number of things, but um, so that is going to be something that, you know, aggregating the information will be very important to make sure it's as clean as possible. On that yeah, that's side. an yeah, that's an interesting challenge, right? Because uh, you want to validate your numbers against other set of data, but you, you know sometimes it's difficult to tell whether it's the same data or not. So that, that's an interesting challenge that that I'm sure data scientists have figured a way at uh, how to mark their data and track their data and, and compare their data. Um, right, they have markers in there. Yeah. Right, right. So let, let's talk about this. So you guys have built something pretty fascinating, I think very useful for this use case. I mean, I can see a lot of different use cases for the technology, but 
How do you get the attention with everything that's going on in the administration to say, hey, hold your hand up and say, I've got something that I think is going to help. How do you do it, guys? Well, the best way is the Unwired podcast. That's the way you start. That's, that's step, step one, yeah, because I know Trump and the administration and, and, and the former administration is listening to us, right? Oh, yeah. Trump's with NSA and everybody else. Listening. No. Yeah. No, so I think that's where um, there's, a, there's a couple things there that we're working on that I, I think make a lot of sense. Most, most of all, we'd love to get We'd love to get the system in use, even if, if it's at the local level or the regional level, you know, metropolitan level. I think the idea is to is to is to get people using it, collect the data and actually see if if there's value in it. And I would I would go back to the what Mark said, the data. You know, if I could summarize Mark's point, I, I think the data is just a tool. So the data doesn't have its own um, agenda. It just it's a tool that's going to be used, um, and whoever needs it. And if you look at what uh, Dr. Jerry needs versus what maybe Dean needs for his work, they're they're looking at the same data but in very different ways. So that that's that's the way I would categorize information. As, is it's a tool? It's just one of the tools of many. And um, so let's let's yeah. let's ask a, how does this help Dr. Jerry? So you know you've got you know you've somebody triage it. So maybe this is on the Sharper's Daily uh, website, right? And people you know triage it that way. And then the ones that are kind of flagged for you need to come in, then he sees them and maybe there's in the referral notes he knows that they've already kind of gone through the system and been triaged, which would probably help him speed up and save time, I guess. And then focus on maybe getting an x-ray or maybe a, a lab test, um, you know, to, to help out. Um, but Dr. Jerry, I'd love to hear your feedback of, you know, how do you, how do you leverage this data for you? Well, what PASS does, it actually creates a complete history of present illness before I even see the patient. And they say that history, the history the patient give, gives you provides you with the diagnosis over 80% of the time. So if I have this information before I even see the patient, you're right, I'm far ahead of the game. I look at the history they're telling me, you know, 57-year-old male presenting with five days of cough. He has five out of 10 chest wall pain. He has a temperature of 100.2. He's complaining of shortness of breath. He's already tried Robitussin and Zycam for his cold and cough symptoms. He's taking Tylenol to control his fever. He also, with this, has lost his sense of smell. That I already have in front of me before the patient is in my exam room. I pretty much have a diagnosis. I, can, I know I need to order a chest x-ray. I know I need to order a COVID test. Um, I'm, I'm way ahead of the ball game. It probably will shorten my visit by about 15 minutes. 
That's significant. Yeah, that's significant. Yeah. When I have high volume coming in, that's critical that I've, I've saved 10 or 15 minutes on that visit. I've got all the information ahead of time. Um, you know, this, this is invaluable. And this can be imported right into the electro, our electronic health record. So let's talk about that. So Dean, so Dr. Jerry is going to leverage your data coming in through some integration uh, for technical, probably in a JSON format for those folks that understand, you know, data feeds. Um, right. So help me out with the construct itself. So are you guys, I mean, you have a platform. Are you sitting down with the Dr. Jerry's of the world on use cases and kind of, and I, as I think about your technology, I almost think about like a flow chart, right? Where, you know, I start off with one question and I can, it, I can go to a, a tree, a decision tree, a flow chart and go, if yes, mm -hmm. then I'm going to answer these questions and it will continue to branch off or branch off to collect as much information about me um, for whatever use case. In this case, it's, it's COVID we're talking about, right? And, and I'm sure Dr. Jerry's kind of giving you his, if the person was presenting in person, the questions you would ask to kind of follow them on that path, get it, collect as much information. Is, is, is that the premise for kind of every use case that you work for the platform is you're going to, you know, for lack of a better word, have a, a solutions person work with the individual doctor or health systems to create these kind of care paths or question triage paths? Right, right, exactly. So it's, you know, it's looking for, you know, it's kind of like an expert system, right? So, you know, um, you know, taking the um, subject matter expert, like, you know, the physician, like Dr. Jerry, and understanding, you know, what is it that we're building here? So COVID is one, like you said, Ben, you know, down the road, it could be, um, you know, a hurricane, uh, it could be, you know, national, nat you know, a natural disaster, it could be the next pandemic. So there's going to be cases that we have to understand what are the, you know, what are the things that we need to collect and what's missing in this dialogue and go back and ask for those types of questions. Um, one other point here too, which is important is, you know, we've been talking about, you know, inbound calls, right? But the system is designed and we've been in discussions with insurance companies to do outbound phone calling. And this could be, you know, taken much broader into a lot of different areas where you're calling the population, you're calling your members, you're calling, you know, whomever to find out if they have symptoms or if there's problems that need to be addressed, that need to be triaged. So, um, you know, that's very actionable, right? Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, so it could be, it can work on both sides. And, um, um, you know, we're excited about, you know, to what you're, what you're asking here, Ben, you know, we can, we can really grow this system into a platform um, that can be utilized in a lot of different scenarios, inbound or outbound, either way. And Mark, maybe maybe Mark could explain the the Navy use case for something like this. Um, I know we've we've actually worked on this together. So Mark, if you could explain um, the one we were working on, uh, I think we call it uh, PASC. So, yeah, I can, I can, I can start talking about that. Yeah. You know, the the utility of this system is tremendous, and it's limited only by the imagination of the folks that are thinking about how it could be utilized. And so, one of the things that we've talked about is in the Navy, you have a number of different things. Uh, by and large, 
you have a lot of sailors that are ashore sheltering in place. They could be sailors off of a ship in San Diego. They could be midshipmen at the Naval Academy. And these, these uh, men and women uh, you know, would normally have, have been at their appointed place to duty, whether it was in the classroom, uh, at the academy, on a ship of the line. And, and now the, the service is designing accountability tools primarily on the fly that by and large depend on an email being sent back and forth which means that you have to open the email, you have to read it, you have to respond. Sometimes you have to fill out a form. Sometimes there's nothing like that at all. And the only line of defense is showing up on the quarterdeck of a ship and saying, uh, and being asked, how do you feel? And at that point saying, you know, if I go back to Jerry's comments and says, well, I have a fever, I have a dry cough and I can't taste or smell. And that guy in the quarterdeck, who's not a doctor, by the way, says, Hmm, sounds very interesting. Why don't you, you know, go to your bunk or something? And that's not yeah, what we yeah. want. So a tool yeah. like this would help, could help prevent uh, further spreading the infection. It could much, it could streamline the process of accounting for sailors and for Marines or, or frankly anybody. And it, and it, and because of the comment that I made earlier about how data scientists can tame, you know, these huge data streams and find, find uh, the message in there, the data can be tailored, whether you're the captain of a ship or you're the superintendent of the Naval Academy, or maybe you're a, a part of a much smaller organization. Maybe you're in the medical department or, or maybe you're just trying to ensure in the, in, in the personnel office that everybody's accounted for. And Mark, I don't want to put you on the spot, Mark, but, um, You've got standing here, and wh what did you think? And could this have helped the Navy captain who just got himself into trouble on the USS Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt? Um, what, what's your take on that, and what do you think happened? What could have helped him avoid the scenario that he got into? It's a great question. Um, you know, I'm boy. This is this is a this is an exciting topic, and. And uh, I'll offer a few thoughts. The, I think that it was a very fast-paced environment on board the TR, um, or the big stick, if you prefer. The uh, Teddy Roosevelt ship has always been called the, the big stick because of Teddy Roosevelt's uh, uh, you know, famous saying, Thinks, think, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, my, my comment, though, is, is that, his value proposition was he needed to get information up his chain of command and, and he needed to be able to do it in a thoughtful way and he needed to be able to do it at speed. You know, the value, the, the problem you have with, with data is, was, is candidly, sometimes people count what they want to count. It has nothing to do with data, but he needed to share that data upline very effectively and very quickly. And it seems like that was his, that was his, uh, that was his problem. He couldn't get the data upline and he couldn't get it in a way that was actionable and, and uh, allowed people to make decisions. Now, my sense is that the, the folks that were uh, hard at work behind the scenes were hard at work behind the scenes before he sent the note. But, but uh, I think there was just a lack of information coming off the ship and people weren't action oriented. And that's uh, disappointing. I feel terrible for the crew. I feel terrible. I, don't feel, I feel terrible for Captain Crozier and I feel terrible for the Navy because uh, you know, and I, feel, and I feel bad for the gentleman who just completed his tour on board the Theodore Roosevelt, who was asked to, uh, after he'd gone ashore this last uh, 
this last fall and thought he was on his way to shore duty after nearly probably eight years of sea duty between uh, the ships that he had to ride to get ready for this job and then a full tour as the commanding officer of a ship. That poor guy got asked to go back and take the ship again on deployment. So he had to drop everything, uh, disrupt his family and his life, and go back to sea. Those are very tough jobs for the whole Navy. Wow. Wow. Well, that's so, Dr. Yeah, so, Dr. Jerry, I, I do want to ask you a couple of questions uh, just from a testing perspective you, you'd mentioned. So, you know, one of the things that general public, I think, has a difficult time figuring out because there's so many different news sources and the information is often conflicted and typically based off of the political affiliation or slanting of the, the media outlet. So I, I have a question, and it's really asking people that are on the front lines like yourself, which is, you know, we've heard so much about, like, uh, test kits like Abbott that has come out with, the rapid kit that is like five to 15 minutes. Are those, A, available, B, accurate, and, you know, are they readily available for you? The rapid kits are not readily available. Okay. Um, it's, they're not far off. But okay. right now, um, you know, we're still having a one to two day turnaround at best. Um, should, should, well, this is a, qu a question for you. It, it, being in healthcare, as long as you have, should the, the American people be disappointed that tests aren't readily available, that we weren't ready for this? I mean, is it realistic that we didn't have a test for this or should we have had this a test ready for this? Well, we, we should have had a test ready. Um, we decided to go with our own internal uh, test, uh, test that was being developed um, here in the U.S. Uh, by the CDC. They could have used uh, a test that had been developed in Germany and Europe. Um, they, they thought they could have a more accurate test. Um, when they um, sent the kits out, they found out that the kits were faulty. Um, they had to start from scratch. That caused a delay, and, and that led to the problems uh, here in the U.S., um, was the was the German one not as accurate or had a high fail rate? Is that why they opted not to go with their own? Or, or? It, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't as accurate uh, as they would have liked. Um, they decided that you know in house in the U.S. we could come up with a more accurate test that would have less false negatives. Okay. So, ben, right. so Ben, ben I, you know, let, I'd like to weigh in here. So, you know, Ben and I, we spent a lot of time developing different kinds of testing tools with our customers over the years. Isn't it true, though, Jerry, that um, if this thing is a novel um, virus, I mean, it's brand new in in all senses. And so, how could we have tests, you know, uh, predetermined for something that we didn't know existed. And so when a new thing comes along, it does stress us in figuring out how quickly we can turn these things around. But is it fair or, or not fair to, to say we weren't prepared um, 
for something we didn't know about? Or or do you feel like we we had some idea about this thing earlier than is public? I think we, we had some we had some idea early um, that it was coming. Um, you know, we we just made a we made a judgment. We we weren't happy with the test in Europe. We thought we could produce a more accurate test here in the U.S. And it was one of those things. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but yeah. probably looking at it knowing that we had a ramp up very, 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 very fast, you know, I guess you could argue that, you know, maybe it wasn't the right time to develop our own test here in the U.S. that we should have used technology uh, from Europe that was already there, ready to go, that we could ramp up a little quicker and faster. But, you know, I, you're right, I'm using, you know, hindsight that, you know, we're looking back at it and saying, gosh, the test we developed here had troubles. <laughs> it, uh, you know, it delayed the test kits coming out. Um, but but I think it, it's something that we had to ramp up very quickly. We, we had a test that was a German test that was a pretty good test. It was ready to go. You know, I think a lot of the experts say, gosh, we, we probably should have gone with that particular test and not try to develop a, a new test here in the U.S. on the fly when we just didn't have a lot of time. You know, I, I uh, maybe I can jump in with a comment as well. And I and, and my comment is this is Mark Heiner. And, and my comment has to do with the the propensity of the private sector to deliver. Now, the Surgeon General uh, early today, late yesterday, commented that that this really represents for this generation uh, kind of a Pearl Harbor and 9-11 moment, which means that the country as a whole has to come together and and the best of what America has to offer is where we have to go. And, and as a result, the innovations that allowed us to win World War I after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the innovations that allowed us to keep pace with a very fast-paced enemy after the 9-11 time frame after the 9-11 attacks uh, allowed us to prevail. Those are the kind of innovations that I think the Surgeon General was, uh, was, was uh, I think, channeling. So, so right here in San Diego, you have a company called Global Whole Health Partners, who is now uh, submitted their product to uh, the Food and Drug Administration, to the FDA, and has asked for expedited approval. They the you know <laughs> it's an interesting article in the Washington Post this last weekend. Jeff Shuren, who's the head of the devices group at FDA that approves these things, he was asked about the conditions in the FDA lab, and he was very critical of the F. Of, I'm sorry, he asked he was asked about the conditions in the CDC lab, and he was very critical of those conditions. And he he actually commented openly in the press. Uh, he said if if the CDC was a commercial lab, he might have shut them down just to get them to square away. So, so it's, the issue is not that you have good people come to work every day at the CDC to want to do the best job they can. Sometimes it is, it's just how you spend your time. So, so you take this company like uh, you know, Global Whole Health Partners and they've now developed a product that's, that's gonna be manufactured and is manufactured now in, 
in low low quantities right here in San Diego, just north of Miramar Naval Air Station, Miramar Marine Corps Air Station. And and uh, this product gives gives a, a test result in eight minutes. It costs a reasonable amount of money and and they can manufacture 350,000 a day once they get their plant up and running and they're simply waiting for the FDA to approve it. So so that came out of innovations. These this company had already made uh, standalone tests for SARS, for coronavirus, for swine flu, swine flu, and and it now so they've worked with the corona family of viruses and they're really good at it. And so we're going to get that out of this company, and that should help Jerry and others uh, be able to triage people faster, give them a give them a plus minus. They just did a test uh, with the Navy this weekend. They had 100 uh, test subjects, some of which had coronavirus, some of which didn't. And, and the test results were perfect, 100 for 100 for this company. And so they expect uh, expedited FDA approval maybe as early as tomorrow. So, That's fantastic. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. 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 And, and so my point is, is, that, is that you take a test like that, and, and if somebody were to say, call an 800 number, and and they lay out that uh, you know, boy, oh boy, I just don't feel good. I've got a fever. I've got a dry cough. I can't smell. I can't taste. Um, and I and and they'll say, you know, come to the doctor or come come to the hospital. Come to the closest hospital, and they'll give you a test. And then and and they they don't even have to let them into the emergency room. As as Jerry points out, they're operating outside. He can give them a test and they can know within eight to 10 minutes whether they're positive for coronavirus. If they're not, then then that allows the, the, the leadership team at the hospital, the emergency team to treat them differently. So so my point is, is this is uh, this is a moment in time for the nation to come together and to deliver deliver these great innovations. And they're happening right before our eyes. And we need that good news, Mark. Uh, we, we need some positive news uh people people are you know locked in their homes and their uh you know i think the media tends to exaggerate things for their you know own purposes and people are afraid so you've got um you know in in a way they're terrorized by what's going on so yeah so so the fact that we can innovate and come up with new ways to deal with this which is going to help us get back to uh, a regular life uh, and get back to work and get the economy going again. Um, these are great steps. And, uh, you know, that, that made my day to hear that news that you just um, provided. So yeah. ho hopefully this will, you know, help some other people. And, and the one thing I wanted, so I wanted to end the show on a positive note because we're at the top of the hour. I want to thank you guys for coming and spending time with us. Uh, mm -hmm. Really appreciate it, but I would like each of you to, to you know, do do a roundtable and 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 try to think of uh, you know some of the positive things that you've seen that we can latch on to, um, you know, despite the very serious business that um, that COVID nineteen entails, um, and and you know maybe we can let uh, Dr. Jerry go last, but. Um, you know, Dean and Mark, why don't you, you know, m mine is simply, I, I feel great that um, to be part of this team and to hear you guys um, talking about innovations and talking about ways that we can improve things. This is usually how something gets done. Uh, you've got to try and you've got to, you, you've got to, 
have smart people that get get around the table and try to figure things out, and usually something positive happens. So I really appreciate that with this team, uh, and that's what's that's what's keeping me uh, feeling good every day, and getting me out of bed. Well, uh, Jim, I can I can go from uh, to start out on this one. So you know, I I think that. Um, you know, I'm really honored to be, um, you know, with this team that we have. You know, uh, the team here is uh, really founded by we've known each other for a long time. I mean, Jim, you and I have known each other for uh, the last year and Jerry and Mark for, you know, several years and, um, you know, all members of the community. And so, you know, I don't think it gets any better than that to work with people that, you know, you, you, you've known and you like a lot, you'd like to work with. Um, the, the other point is that I think that... Um, you know, we started out on our path, um, you know, around this medical assistant. Um, but, you know, I think the entrepreneurial spirit here is that uh, with this company is that, you know, within three weeks, we put together a, you know, a uh, pass public access screening service system that works really well and uh, can be rolled out at a national level. And we did that in three weeks. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's uh, you know, gives a lot of credit to this team right here. Everybody, you know, chipping in and doing that. Um, and on a personal level, you know, our kids, uh, my kids are back from college. I'm living here back at the house. And I think that, you know, um, you know, I see that, you know, families get closer now with these, you know, your close uh, proximities and you're, you know, living together and, you know, seeing each other every day. And, you know, it's, it, it kind of, it does, with all the hardship out there and there's a lot of hardship but there are those you know glimmers of you know of uh, positiveness of being a you know family unit and people coming together so you know i i do really cherish that time thanks so, Dean. mark yep yeah I, I, what a what an honor and a privilege to be uh, on your podcast jim ben uh dean jerry it's a real real treat to be here tonight and like I said, I'm a big fan, and I haven't listened to the first 15 episodes, and I'll go back to do that. My, my only comment, I'll go back and close with a comment about the data and, and maybe a comment about uh, having patience with the government. The, you know, statistics to us appear to be cold, hard facts, <laughs> but it's important to remember that people gather statistics. So, uh, you know, people choose what to count, and, and as you hear statistics over the next days, weeks, and months, just remember, statistics are interpretations, and 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 our interpretation might be just as good as anybody else's. So, and sometimes the numbers just might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. and, and my other comment is to have patience with the government. You know, I worked in the Navy, which is really a very large corporation, but it's a government nonetheless. Uh, I worked in the government for you know 35 years and went to the Naval Academy for another four. And and I don't know a, I don't know a government uh, employee who didn't come to work every day wanting to do the best job he could. I know the guys that were involved in planning, putting the pandemic response plan together in 2005 and 2006, and they're already identifying things that were that they thought would be easy, but have turned out to be very difficult. They asked, uh, they told states to stockpile ventilators back then, and and many of the states stockpiled them, but they realized that the cost of trying to maintain them or to turn the stock so, so you didn't have uh, you know, a 20, 15-year-old ventilator that you're pulling off the shelf. Uh, those kind of things are very difficult. 
and they take they take hard work. And so inventory management is is hard work. I looked back at uh, at in 2009 when we had swine flu and H1N1, and uh, we were trying to keep track of uh, of huge stocks of things like Tamiflu. Very difficult because Tamiflu has a relatively short shelf life. So so that's my comment: is have patience with government. Um, there, there isn't a guy on the podium or working behind a desk that isn't trying to do the best job they can, and, and we're going to get through this together. And I thought the great ideas about about leveraging artificial intelligence um, and and helping people do their job better. What a great way to spend the evening. Thank you. Thanks. Bill. Yeah. Before Jerry jumps, before Jerry jumps in, I wanted to give a couple comments. Um, I, as I said in a previous podcast, as we talk about COVID. I don't think now is the time to blame um, and to play Monday morning quarterback. We're not done. And I think, you know, Mark, you said at best where you're, you're talking about things that have come innovation that's come out of crisis, like these post 9-11 type of events. I mean, great companies have. Entrepreneurism has helped rebuild and come up with some pretty amazing things for us that we use every day. And so I think that as we're spending our time with our family and as we have time um, to let that spirit of, of creative thought come into, come into being uh, for us on an everyday basis. What could, what could we build uh, instead of blaming? What could we solve mm -hmm. versus blaming? Um, there'll be plenty of time for a postmortem on this whole coronavirus. As you had mentioned, Mark, I mean, there's, there's, there's lessons learned not to blame, but to learn and to do better next time. Thanks, Ben. Dr. Jerry, take us, take us home. All right. Again, thank you, Jim and Ben, uh, very much. Um, what, what I, I, I was, um, spent 10 years in the Navy, was a senior medical officer in the USS Boxer and, um, this, this crisis, the silver lining, it's kind of brought me back to my, my military days of, 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 of service. Um, I kind of feel like I'm back on active duty when, you know, we're back in the COVID tent seeing patients outside. You know, I, I, I think back to deployments. Um, so that kind of uh, camaraderie and teamwork, um, you know, we, we went from just being a traditional urgent care, seeing all our patients inside, and 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 we set up the outdoor respiratory tents in like two weeks. It you know was amazing accomplishment by our our team in the urgent care and our leadership. So so I, uh, I take a lot of pride in that. That's kind of the uh, silver lining. And um, and I went to Starbucks today, and because I was in my scrubs, I got my uh, venti coffee and my. Uh, my uh, bacon egg sandwich and my bagel for free. So, amen. Uh, amen. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, so it's kind of that, you know, service. I, I feel like I'm um, back on active duty again. And, and you, you, you talked about the innovation we're developing. You know, we're going to fast track. We're probably going to have uh, a vaccine for, for COVID, and it'll probably be the, uh, the fastest we've ever. Um, developed a vaccine and, and brought it to market and, and used it in, in real patients. And, and, and that's going to be the game changer. Uh, that'll be the thing that gets our lives back to normal is the vaccine. And it's amazing to see the FDA and, and um, the government and, and private industry 
uh, work together and and do amazing things. And, and we're, the FDA is going to do the same thing with uh, treatments for, for COVID. Um, all these uh, drug trials are being fast-tracked, so we're seeing amazing, amazing innovation. And in our medical group, we, we've had a real tough time in getting telemedicine up and uh, uh, video medicine uh, up and going. And, and man, we ramped up from like doing like 3% of our visits through telemedicine and televideo medicine to now doing, you know, 80% of our visits in primary care um, are now uh, televisits. So, so that's the silver lining for us as a medical group. We're going to be stronger than ever. And again, that's that amazing innovation. We're forced to innovate in this crisis. Um, the other thing I'll talk about real quickly is um, antibody testing is going to be really critical um, coming up because we're going to be able to identify um, people um, who have immunity uh, to COVID and they're saying this immunity may last for many, many years. Um, so that'll be wonderful because we'll be able to get people back to work because those folks will say, gosh, I have Im immunity. Um, uh, the likelihood that I get COVID and I get sick is going to be extremely small to zero. So um, that's the next big thing out there. Antibody testing will help us uh, get people back to work um, and, and return our lives uh, back to normal. Um, again, honor to... Uh, to be on with everyone tonight and uh, honor to work with Dean, uh, Mark, uh, and Jim on this um, great project. Um, and for Quantum AI, this is going to make what we originally started out creating a virtual assistant. Um, uh, this uh, foray into the past system has really improved our ability uh, to produce um, a virtual scribe uh, and our technology is going to be much better when we move back into that avenue of our business. That's a great point. Well, Jerry, thank you so much. Uh, you're, everyone on the show, uh, incredible insights. It's an amazing panel. Uh, we're really lucky to have you. I'm lucky to be part of this group. And uh, Ben, great job on the questions. You you know you didn't trip anybody up, so I'm a little disappointed. But <laughs> but, but, but no, great, great job. It was fun. I mean, this is by far going to be our best show, I believe. And um, just want to thank you, everybody, one more time, and uh, appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, thanks, guys, for the insight. Super, super insightful. Everyone, stay well, stay healthy. Yep. Thank you, guys, very much. their lollipops no one ever interrupts 47 millionaires on a ship with marble squares playing with their teddy bears talking about the rising fairs 47 millionaires on a ship with marble squares whistling to the favorite song dancing laughing all night long 47 millionaires on a with marble squares praying to the morning sun talking with their golden tongue and I wished I was one of them and I wished I was one of them
Just sound by looking. 